Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our New Life Sunday service online. Paul's away for a little bit of vacation time, so we can pray together as a church family just for an excellent time of rest and refreshing for him over the next couple of weeks. Well, it has been a pretty busy week here around New Life. Amy and Christopher led us in a fabulous time of worship on Wednesday night, so I'd encourage you to hop over to our Worship at Home playlist here on our channel and check that out if you haven't had a chance to enjoy that yet. And big thanks to them for helping me out with that this week. I've been absent from our worship videos for a couple of weeks now. Um, I had a, a pretty bad bout with some vertigo and a, a wee little head injury, which is what happens when you tip over onto your bathroom floor in the middle of the night. Um, but I'll be back on Wednesday night, guitar in hand, now that I can sit here in the studio without tipping over again. <laughs> Well, probably the most exciting thing to happen here at New Life this week was our decision to set our regathering date for Sunday, September the 13th. If you subscribe to our email newsletters on the weekends, you'll have a copy of that announcement in your inbox to check out. And there's been tons of work going on behind the scenes really since March to make sure that we're ready to welcome you all back in person. With most of Ontario moving ahead into stage three of the government's reopening plan this week, we felt the time was right for us to move ahead as well. We're still going to be limited to about 30% of our building's capacity when we gather, and physical distancing is going to be a part of our reality for the foreseeable future. So we're going to be offering two gatherings, one on Sunday morning and one on Tuesday evening. And we also recognize that many of you have expressed that you're not going to feel comfortable coming and being in a place like this around a lot of people until this, this whole thing kind of settles itself out. And that's absolutely okay. We're gonna be broadcasting our full Sunday morning service from the auditorium when we come back in September. And we're gonna have lots more about that to share with you in the weeks ahead. So do keep an eye in your inbox for all of the latest details. The other exciting announcement this week was that registration is now open for our iSpy online kids camp running in August. There's a link to our online registration site in the video description below as well as in this week's email newsletter. And you can also pull out your phone, download the Church Center app, set New Life Collingwood as your church, and you can register that way. Well, I'm not gonna share anything more about that camp because we've had some work going on here this week um, to share that with you in a fun and creative way. So before we carry on this morning, let's watch this video. Well, it was a lot of fun watching that video come together around here this week. So thanks to Christopher and our two summer intern students, Liam and Paige, for all their hard work on that. Make sure you hit that registration link below in the video description if you'd like to sign up your kids K to four for what's looking like a pretty awesome summer camp online. Well, our message this morning is entitled Worship, Attitude and Action, and I bet I can guess what you're thinking at home right now. I bet you're wondering why there's a pair of beat up hiking shoes on the table here. That's gonna make more sense in a few minutes, but I wanna start with a statement. We are created to worship. I think there's something just right in our very DNA that's wired to worship. 
If you don't believe me, try this experiment out with someone that you know this week. Ask them about their favorite pastime. You know, what do they like to spend their time doing? Then ask them why they enjoy that activity. If you asked me those questions, you'd find out that one of my very favorite things to do is to strap on my hiking shoes and take long, quiet walks in the forest. And I know, what an exciting guy, right? But to me, it is exciting because I end up in places that fill me with awe. Check out this picture. I've lived within a 40 minute hike from this place for 10 years and I had no idea about this view until last fall. I decided to throw my hiking shoes on and catch a quick walk on a trail on my way home from work. I made a couple of wrong turns and boom, I came face to face with this view. And I gotta tell you, I think I actually stopped breathing for a few moments because I was just filled with awe. And I thanked God for my wrong turn on that trail and I stayed there for a while and I worshiped him just for the absolute beauty of the place. So try that experiment with someone you know this week. Because I have a theory that we're all drawn to certain activities because of the sense of awe that they induce in us, which at least in part is produced by this worship wiring in our DNA. And that, that's not a scientific term, by the way, that's just something I came up with to express this concept. But what kind of awe-filled reactions have you had? You know, maybe it was to a place like my vista in the forest. I know someone who becomes awe-filled when sitting down and doing complex math problems. Or it could be when you listen to a really moving piece of music or looking at art. And I think we can all probably relate to experiences of being in awe around other people. You know, what if Queen Elizabeth appeared in your living room right now and sat down next to you to watch church? You know, you might be a little bit awestruck and not know how to respond, right? Well, true confession time, I'm a big Star Trek fan. Back in the 90s, they put out this movie called First Contact. In the movie, the crew of the Starship Enterprise, you know, that's the Picard Enterprise, not the Kirk Enterprise, if you're wondering, they end up traveling back in time to try and stop the villains of the movie from enslaving humanity in the past. Uh, the crew comes face to face with Zephram Cochran, and this is the guy that invented the warp drive, and that's just the engine of starships for you non-Trekkies out there. And they end up having to work with him to preserve human history the way it was meant to unfold. And there's a great scene in the middle of the movie where all of these starship engineers, they're trying to meet Cochrane, to shake his hand, to get a few minutes of his time. They probably would have tried to take a selfie. And towards the end of the scene, one of the characters says, don't worry about it. It's just a little harmless hero worship. I've included a link to that scene in the description below if you'd like to watch that later, but it shows the characters being in awe. And they end up falling all over themselves and, and acting really kind of silly. But all of that said, just to illustrate that I think we're wired to have an awe response. And that awe response, it, it drives us to act. But what makes that response and our actions into worship. Well, let's dig past the surface of that for a little bit. 
See, sometimes I think English lets us down a little bit as a language. In English, we have this one word, worship. And when we crack open our English translations of scripture, you know, we see this word all over the place and we could, if we're not careful, be left with a really one-dimensional impression of it. But it's a word with some really deep meaning. In the Old Testament alone, there's four different Hebrew words translated into English as worship. And these words point us to a concept of bowing down or having a reaction of respect or honor. And this is where the attitude aspect of the word comes into play. We can see how that reaction starts within us with our thoughts or our feelings. To help us understand this a little better, let's key in on just one of these translated Hebrew words for a few moments. Respect. Who do you respect? Maybe your boss, and if you're watching this morning, Paul, I love you. Or a public figure who embodies your values, maybe even a noted church leader. Why do you respect that person? Why does that person occupy a special position in your thinking? That's just, that's just one way to help us get our minds around this attitude component of worship, this idea that it's something that starts within us. And that leads us to a really important question. If our awe response is only in our attitude, is it worship? To use my example of grabbing my shoes and going for a hike to my vista in the forest, if I just come upon a scene like that and say to myself, wow, it's amazing that God made that, am I worshiping? Now, I might be having a right attitude about it, but is the attitude alone a response of worship? And it gets a little murky here, which is why I'm not going to be dogmatic about it at all. It's this question of what worship is isn't as easy to answer as we might think. But to help us explore that a little further, let's look to the New Testament and some of the Greek words that get translated into our English scripture as worship. Some of them point to the same concept as the Old Testament Hebrew, you know, this, this idea of showing reverence. But there are some other Greek words used that convey something really different, that we are to minister or to serve one another. And here we have the action aspect of worship. Our attitude, our awe or respect or reverence should lead us to do something. We have to respond. In Star Trek First Contact, their awe, respect, and reverence led them to respond in a really silly kind of a way. So how do we get this right? How do we make sure that our worship is properly formed and directed? If you've been able to join us for our Wednesday Worship at Home videos this summer, I've quoted from this book a fair bit in talking about our core value as a church regarding worship. We've been learning together how to make the practice of personal acts of worship a priority in our faith journey during this time when we're apart and we, we can't worship together as a group. Here's the core value. We value heartfelt worship that is God-honoring, spirit-directed, and life-changing. And I think that gives us a really good framework to hang some deeper understanding of this word worship 
arm. The first attribute of this core value, I think, really helps us narrow the field a long way. It answers the biggest of the questions. We believe that worship must be honoring to God, which means it's God that must be the focus of our worship. Now, you might be sitting there at home thinking, well, Steve, that kind of goes with its saying, doesn't it? But I think it's best that we're just honest with ourselves about how easy it is to let that worship wiring in our DNA, our awe response, focus in on things that aren't God. And I'll be vulnerable with you and admit that I am not at all immune to that phenomenon. Now, for the, the sports fans among you, it might be that you revere a certain athlete, maybe more than you should. Uh, for some of you who are really into your politics, maybe you're tempted to hold certain leaders up a little bit too far on a pedestal. For me, maybe unsurprisingly, it's guitar players. There's a few uber-talented players out there that provoke an awe response in me, and I probably devote a little bit too much of my my time to following what they do on YouTube and so forth. Well, I like what the message translation of Matthew 6, 24 has to say about this. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. In this passage, Jesus uses money as an example to teach that we can't be really, truly, wholeheartedly devoted to more than one thing. I think we can take this as a little bit of a, a soft warning to watch how much of our awe response is drawing our attention away to other things, things that aren't God. And there's lots of other passages of scripture that highlight this same principle. Exodus 20, verse 3, the first commandment, you know, we're to have no other gods before God. Matthew 4.10, Jesus, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And maybe that doesn't come across as good news to you right away when you're hearing those things. And I've talked to more than a few people over the years that have flat out told me that these passages make them feel like God is kind of an attention-seeking blankety-blank-blank. But there is good news here when we look at another important part of the equation between ourselves and God. Check out these words from Psalm 8, 3-4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, what are human beings that you are mindful of, the mortals that you care for them? Or how about 1 Peter 2.9? You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What are the authors of scripture drawing into the awe response equation here? I think they're drawing out reminders of our covenant relationship with God. Think of it this way. I have a covenant relationship with my wife. We belong to each other in a way that we don't belong to anyone else. In that context, it's not unreasonable, nor is it attention-seeking or selfish of her to say to me, you shall have no other women before me. 
you know, it, it would be weird if she didn't have that expectation. The fact of the matter is that she's in a special category in my life that no one else is even in consideration for. And it would be flat out disturbing if any portion of that special status was to land on anyone else and if I didn't do everything in my power to make sure that that never happened. And that's what's going on in these passages of scripture. We are God's special possessions. We have a covenant relationship with him. And to make sure that we're nurturing that relationship, he says, don't have other gods before me. Don't let your awe response land on things that pull you away from me because I want us to keep this special relationship we have strong. And so we try to focus our awe response in God-honoring ways. Forgive me, my allergies are acting up a fair bit this morning, so the water is essential. Well, if ensuring that we're devoted to God in that way is the foundation that we build our worship response on, where do we take it from there? How do we let that lead us into more tangible action? I think that brings us to the second element of our core value as a church regarding worship, and that's that we value worship that is spirit-led as in led by the Holy Spirit. Check out these words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Part of what Paul is teaching here, and this would have been a radical concept to the early Christians he was writing to, is that the choice to follow Jesus, that relationship we're talking about, that ensures the follower is going to receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. The Spirit counsels us, empowers us, leads us. But look at what Paul says that Spirit-empowered relationship points to. It's to the praise of God's glory. And now we're talking the language of worship again. See, I think part of the reason that we receive the Holy Spirit, this agent by which we're urged on in our relationship with God, is so that God's glory might be better understood by others. Well, before Jesus, how was God's glory understood? What testified to it? Well, we've already talked a little bit about this wiring that we have, this awe response. So there's been people, I think, since the dawn of time, able to look around them at all of creation and in some fashion recognize God's God's glory in it, his creative work. But what about this relationship aspect? In part, this passage here points us to a great change in how we worship because of that aspect. If you look through the Old Testament, there's all sorts of rules and regulations around how God's people were to worship. Read the books of Exodus or Leviticus sometime and you'll see what I mean. And that kind of rule-bound worship activity was common among the people groups of the ancient Near East. 
And Paul here implicitly says that it's not that way anymore. That regulated system of worship has been wiped away by Jesus. Worship responses are now governed by the Holy Spirit. Well, now what does this mean? And here's where I'm going to muddy the waters a little bit again. I'm sorry. I think it means that if we're genuinely responding to the direction of the Holy Spirit in us, our action in worshipful response to God, that can be any number of things. If you've been around the church for any amount of time, you might be familiar with the phrase worship wars. In a nutshell, this is the unfortunate battle between corporate worship music consisting largely of traditional hymns played on traditional instruments such as an organ versus, and I hate to even use that word versus, contemporary sounding songs done by a band. I've been so dismayed sitting in rooms over the years with people advocating for one style or the other as the proper way to conduct our worship when we sing songs in community together. And I'm always left just wanting to smack my head or go for the bottle of Tylenol because the answer to the question can be both and, or it can be neither. See, if the attitude of the worshiper is correct, focused on God and our status as loved, his special possessions in relationship, and if the Holy Spirit is genuinely leading us into action, a whole gamut of things can be worship. If you want to test that statement out a little bit, um, look up 2 Samuel chapter 6 sometime. This is a story of David responding in worship in a way that was so far out there that people just didn't understand it and were even offended by it. And the, the Apostle Paul has some things to say on how our genuine faith journey might be offensive or foolish to others as well, but I digress a little bit. On this part of our subject matter this morning, I want to leave you with this quote from our guidebook on our core values. All outward forms must be grounded in what God has said and done if there's to be good worship. And at the same time, any worship is good, regardless of external form, if Jesus is honored and the presence of his spirit is a reality in the hearts of the worshipers. How do we evaluate this? How can we tell if our worship is good and led by the Spirit, or if we're slipping back into a, a rules and regulations, checks and balances way of looking at things to try and verify that we're you know, doing it right? Well, I wanna put it to you that that might be the wrong question to ask. I think a much more helpful means of evaluating the correctness of our worship is to do a check on what's taking place inside of us because we're worshipers. Are we being changed by the experience of worshiping God? Here's another quote to help us understand what we're driving at here. Worship is the intersection of God's spirit meeting with us, whose own spirits have been brought to life so that something of a spiritual fusion occurs. It's impossible to meet and interface with the Spirit of God without 
being changed. I love the last bit of that statement. It's impossible to meet with God's spirit without being changed. And there's lots of stories in the Bible of people having genuine encounters with God and being remarkably transformed. In Exodus 24, Moses literally comes away from an encounter with God glowing. I would love to have that happen to me sometime. In the Gospels, many people have radical encounters with Jesus and they come away powerfully transformed in their being. And we can have powerful encounters with God in the here and now through the Holy Spirit. I'd encourage you to read John chapter 14 on this. In that passage, you'll find some powerful promises in Jesus' words for us concerning the work of the Spirit in us. And our worship is a place for that process, that intersection of God's Spirit meeting with us, creating life change. Our God is just that gracious towards us that he would turn the worship of his people into something that's to their very own great benefit. Well, as we start to wrap this up this morning, I want to take you back to the Star Trek scene that I described. The characters in there, if you want to watch the scene later, you'll find them acting really goofy in their hero worship. But there's something I want us to take away from that. I want us to remember their awe response. It was misdirected, yes, but it was genuine and it was unrestrained. When was the last time that you allowed your awe response, that worship wiring in your DNA, to just take a hold of you that way? And I want to challenge you to create an opportunity to react that way towards God this week. And this is going to look a little bit different for each of us, and you'll need to give this some creative thought if it's not something you're used to doing. For me, I know how to trigger my awe response directed at God. I just have to put on my hiking shoes. I know that if I climb up that trail again and look out over that vista in the forest, I'm going to be just as impressed by God's creation and his desire to have relationship with me as a chosen, loved part of it. Then do this. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak in your moment of awe response. Ask the Spirit to turn that attitude into action and see where he leads you. Sing a song, write a poem, draw a picture, maybe even just go and tell someone about this amazing experience you've had with God. Do something. And then make this experience and others like it a habit. And watch what happens over time. See if you don't find yourself drawn closer in your relationship with God. See what the Holy Spirit teaches you along the way about the ways of Jesus. And see what great benefits you experience in your journey as you worship the one you journey with. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your great love for us and for choosing us as your special possessions, for the way you love on us, for the ways you want to draw us close to yourself. 
So even being in awe of that truth this morning, we worship, we respond in worship, our way of saying thank you, our awe response triggered in your direction. And Holy Spirit, would you teach us new things, new ways this week to go out and trigger that response directed at you more often? And would your spirit work in each of my friends watching right now to create some powerful life transformation so that your glory can be understood more fully, more powerfully, and more widely through us as we interact with others. We love you. We worship you together this day. Amen. Well, if you'd like to dig a little bit deeper into what we've talked about this morning, there's a link to our sermon notes and our new life at home follow-ups in the video description below. And come back on Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock here on our channel to do a little worship together through music, scripture, and prayer. And finally, before I let you go today, I want to give another little homework assignment for you. Next Sunday morning, we're in part going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 and some of the, the deep connection in the early Christian church. And to round that teaching off, we're going to share communion together from home. Um, so I'd like to invite you to have some juice and some bread ready um, to partake of at home when we gather next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And lastly, before we sign off, uh, many thanks to Christopher and Tim for helping man cameras and computers this morning to make the live stream happen. And I say an extra thank you to them this morning because I have had them trapped in this room for the better part of two hours now with my sweaty hiking shoes. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the day, folks. Get out there, find a creative way to worship. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye for now.